The Old Testament reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and it's about, uh, it's about how, uh, like, worshiping money will never ever satisfy you. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? And the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. And then I realize that it's good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him. For this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is uh, again from Philemon, and you can see there verses uh, 9b through 11 are in bold. That's what the sermon will be about. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have, have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, Philemon 9, uh, B through 11. Um, Paul's continuing his appeal to um, Philemon, which we'll, we'll get to what he wants here in a couple of weeks. And he says, I then as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Okay. So Paul, let's start with that first phrase there. I then Paul, an old man, and now also, also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That word old man could, it could possibly be, uh, the, the Greek word for ambassador looks just like the word for old man. I, I, I actually prefer that. I prefer ambassador. It, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, 50-50 shot, which one it is. I don't know why Paul would say, like, I'm an old man, unless he's, unless he's saying, you know, hey, be nice to an old man. But that's actually not the basis of his appeal. The basis of his appeal is love. I mean, he starts off saying, what we talked about last week, right? I have authority as an apostle. I can command you to do what I want you to do, but I don't want to do that. I want you to do it based on my love for you and your love for me, not on my right to command you to do something. And so, I appeal to you. I don't know, why would he say old man? I actually like ambassador. But Paul as an ambassador of Christ is a huge theme of at least a couple of his books. Second Corinthians is one of them where, like, I, I'm a, I, I'm on, I'm on, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? On a mission from the government to represent Jesus. I am, uh, I'm a part of the diplomatic corps. I'm an ambassador. And as an ambassador, I don't function under my own authority. I function under the authority of Jesus Christ, which fits in with this whole sense here of like, I'm an ambassador and I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he says in this line. Now, he literally is a prisoner. He'll mention a couple of times later on in here, he, his chains. He's, um, he's in jail. He's in jail for being a Christian. Or, or, or what's more to the point, he's in jail for uh, preaching Christianity and starting riots uh, wherever he goes. People get upset with him and... Uh, Things turn into uh, chaos, and then he gets turned into the authorities, and because he seems to be a threat to order, 
And for the Roman government, order is the most important. You can believe whatever you want, but you have to keep order. If you're not keeping order, then you're a threat to society. He ends up getting thrown into jail for uh, being disorderly several times. He also means something else, though. He usually doesn't say, I'm a prisoner because I'm a Christian. I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He will frequently call himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And the reason why is because, I mean, he's literally in jail. But Paul sees himself as in Christ in such a way that he's locked into Jesus. He's actually, he's a prisoner for Jesus, but he's also a prisoner of Jesus. His relationship with Jesus Christ is so close that you can talk about in terms of imprisonment. Not in a bad sense. You'll see this too if you read Philippians and Romans and Philemon. Paul doesn't ever think of his the back end of Philippians especially. That I can do all things passage. Paul never sees like his his being in prison as a bad thing. I mean, he, he doesn't like it, of course. He says in, in Philippians, he says, you know, I'm hungry, cold, lonely. I don't like any of those things, but I've learned to do them just as well as being rich and full and having proper clothing because in Christ, I can do all these things. I can do all these things in Christ who strengthens me. And so Paul sees his relationship with Jesus Christ, his imprisonment to Jesus Christ as the means whereby he's enabled to be imprisoned in a literal sense and see it as a part of God's mission. It's a part of who he is in Jesus Christ. So he's going to appeal as an old man and now as a prisoner of Christ. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. This goes back to, if you go back to verse um, um, nine there, I appeal to you on the basis of love. This is what, this is the appeal here is I'm appealing to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Paul's going to ask him for, to do something for Onesimus and he's going to do it on the basis of love. Right, so for Paul, this appeal is based upon relationship. Because you and I, because you and I, Philemon, are bonded together in Jesus Christ. And because now Onesimus is bound together in Jesus Christ too. He became my sons, my son while I was in chains. Paul frequently talks about the guys he's converted as his children. He talks about Timothy this way and Titus this way. He calls them my sons. So we don't know the, we don't know the backstory here. Onesimus runs away from his, his owner. Onesimus is a slave who, who flees his owner and somehow finds Paul. We're, we're not sure how. But he finds Paul, and on meeting Paul, somehow in this relationship with Paul, he becomes converted. Paul, Paul by the way, is a prisoner. Don't, don't, don't think like in terms of like prisoner, like a prison that we have now. It's more fluid and loose than that. If you've ever, I know this is a deep cut here. But if you've ever read Dickens and you've read him write about debtors' prisons in uh, 19th century England, it's more like that. The, 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 the debtors' prisons that Dickens knew because his father was always in debtors' prison, in and out of debtors' prison, was it's this place where you stay, you have to go there. The, 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 the courts say you have to live in this place. It's guarded by, you know, by officers of the law who, who guard the prison. But it's like this big, almost like a big dormitory. And you're free to go and come until you pay off your debt. In fact, you're encouraged to go out and get work. But you have to return there every night. And you can't run away. If you don't show up, they'll come and find you and you'll get in trouble. And so this is the prison that Paul's in. 
This is how a guy like Onesimus can come and meet him and have a relationship with him in prison. If you're in prison and in, in the Greco-Roman world, you're not going to get fed. They don't, the, the government doesn't pay for your food or your clothing. You have to have friends come and bring you food and clothing or you'll just starve to death or freeze to death in prison. So Paul has this, this coterie of people who are constantly in and out and coming in and talking to him and leaving. He's coming in and meeting people and then sending them to churches to communicate. Onesimus somehow shows up in this group and Paul converts him to Christ. And now he sends him back to Philemon saying, well, we'll find out in a couple of weeks exactly what he wants Philemon to do with Onesimus. But saying, I'm sending Onesimus back to you and I'm going to appeal to you on his behalf on the basis of love. The shared love that is ours in Jesus Christ. Not just me and you, Philemon, anymore, but now Onesimus, who is a fellow brother in Christ. And this takes us back to verse 6, which I told you when we talked about it, was the heart of Philemon. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. And remember we talked about this, that word sharing in Philemon is not like evangelism sharing. It's not like you need to be active in talking to people about your faith. It's it's the word koinonia. You need to be active in participating in your faith life together. If you have community with each other in Jesus Christ, if you have relationships with each other in Jesus Christ, then you will learn and experience every good thing we have in Christ. And now that he said that, he can say, now I want to appeal to you for Onesimus. He's in on this too. You might not like it. It might not be a part of your worldview, Philemon. That's somebody who's below you on the socioeconomic scale. That you, a wealthy landowner, should share completely in your life with this slave, and a slave who it looks like wronged him. I know that that's not in your worldview, Philemon, but I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of our shared relationship in Jesus Christ to welcome Onesimus back. More on that in a few weeks. Formerly he was useless to you. This is verse 11 now. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become both he has become useful both to you and to me. Now, this is a little play on ideas here, and some of you have heard this before. Onesimus is a Greek word that just means useful. And it's actually a super common slave name because it looks like it was just a nickname that you would have for a good slave. You would call him useful. You're a useful guy. And that ends up becoming your name. Onesimus, you're the useful one. Paul says, though, and now this is going to make a little play on words, and for those of you who know me, you know that I hate puns. Like puns are the, it's a, it's a sign of the lowest level of intelligence is a pun. And so I'm not really sure what to do when uh, one of the writers of Holy Scripture engages in wordplay. I just, I, I'm not for it, but I'm going to let it go. And I have to preach it because it's in God's Word. And this is just a good example of sometimes you just have to be humble and uh, believe in the Bible even when you don't want to. I don't really care for wordplays like this. But Paul's going to make a wordplay. He says this, he used to be useless, but now he's useful. You know, his name is Onesimus, useful one. He used to be useless, though, right? He wasn't like his name. He was useless, but now he's useful. Uh, we'll talk in a second about what makes him useful. But Paul is saying, okay, this is funny, right? Onesimus, useful. He really wasn't. He stole your stuff and ran away. But now he's going to, in Jesus Christ, he's going to be useful. But there's actually a deeper wordplay here. He, when he says here, he used to be useless, but now he's useful, he doesn't use the word Onesimus, actually. He uses a synonym for useful. And I, I, part of me hates to do this too, but I'm going to do it because it's actually the only way to make sense of a pun in a foreign language is to actually tell you about the pun. Crestos is useful. He used to be, here's what Paul says. He used to be akrestos. If you put, in Greek, if you put an A on the front of a word, it means 
not whatever the word is following. So akrestos is not krestos, not useful. You guys know the word atheist, right? An atheist is somebody, you know, a theist is somebody who believes in God. You put an A on the front of the word and it means not a theist. Amuse is another word. Muse means to think or ponder. To be amused is to not think. It's to get to a place where you don't, don't have to use your brain, right? So he used to be akrestos, but now he's eukrestos. E-U-Crestos. Now he's, and E-U means good. Like euphoria is good feelings. To, to, to carry, carry on your life in a good way. It's a, euphoria means that. Or a eulogy. Uh, logos is the Greek word for word. Eulogy is good word. A eulogy is a good word. Now he's eukrestos. He's good useful. He, it's an intensifier in this case. He's really useful. He used to be akrestos, not useful, and now he's eukrestos, he's good, useful. But here's where the pun comes in, is that that word krestos is a lot of times in the ancient world confused for Christos. It's spelled exactly the same way. You just take the E out and you put the I in. And audibly, it's almost indistinguishable. Christos and krestos sound a lot alike. Krestos is the word for useful, but Christos is the word for Christ, the anointed one. It's, it's the Greek version of Messiah. And it's a title as early as um, uh, well, Paul's writings, which are pretty early. It, it becomes a title for Jesus, Jesus the Christ. almost becomes like one of his names, Jesus Christ. Now, what's Paul doing here? Actually, there's, I'll, I'll give you a good example of this. Suetonius, in, in his famous book, which you know people have to read in college if you're going to study ancient medieval literature, uh, his book, um, The Lives of the Twelve Caesars, famously talks about an event during the reign of Claudius Caesar where all the Jews were rioting, instigated, instigated Suetonius says, by Crestos. And Claudius had to expel the Jews from Rome. We know that this is true in the New Testament because there are some uh, Jewish people um, who are living in Corinth, that Paul meets in Corinth, who are from Rome but got kicked out of Rome because of this Crestos instigated, instigated riot. Well, Suetonius doesn't tell us who Christos is, but a lot of scholars guess that he's actually talking about Christos, that the Jews, and this goes along with Paul's letter to the Romans, the Jews are fighting in Rome over who this Christos guy is. Should we believe in Christos or not believe in Christos? And the riots get, not, you know, nobody gets killed, but they get big enough that Claudius says, okay, all the Jews have to leave Rome for 10 years. Well, this is Paul's doing this here. He's saying, Onesimus used to be Achrestos, and now he's Eucrestos. Why would he use this pun? Why would he not use Onesimus? Why would he use Eucrestos? Eucrestos, I'm sorry. I think the answer is this. is because Paul's appeal to Philemon to welcome Onesimus back is not based upon, I, I promise you, he's going to be a good slave from now on. He's going to be useful to you. In fact, Paul never, if, if you think of usefulness in those terms, like he's going to be a really hard worker now, Paul never explains how he's going to be useful. What he's saying is, is that he used to be, when he left you, he was not Christ, not with Christ. And now he is yes to Christ. He is you, Christos. And you should welcome him back as a Christian. Look, all of us want to be useful. We, we all want to know that, like, we're benefiting this world or benefiting each other, or even just benefiting our friends. When I do marriage counseling, but both when I like 
uh, facilitate marriage counseling, and when I've participated in marriage counseling myself, I've heard the phrase, people will say things like, men, women want to be loved, but men want to be respected. You know, like women want affection and to know that they're um, cared for, and men want to be respected to know and to think that they're useful. I've always found this to be, I, I don't actually, like when you start to unpack those things, I'm not sure what the difference is between those two. I don't know, like I, I'm, affection and being respected, like where where is it okay, like I don't really, like as, as a husband, I don't really need affection. I don't want to be loved or anything. I just want to be useful. I've never ever felt like that. They always go together. And I actually have never talked to any woman in any marriage who's like, you, you know, I just want affection. I don't need my husband to respect me, just to care for me. It's actually a nonsense sort of phrase. Like, I don't, what is affection if it's not combined with respect? All of us want respect. We want to know that I actually make a difference in my spouse's life. Like, they think well of me. Like, they don't resent me being around. I do things that make them happy. We all want to know that at work, whatever your work is, that people are like, oh, that guy or that woman does a good job. You know, they, they do a good job. We can trust them. And we know that if we give them a task, it's going to get done. This is a part of our, this is like uh, programmed into us, is to be useful. And th- this can be a weight, though. I mean, this being having this over your head that I have to perform to get stuff done can be a weight. My kids uh, used to watch, you guys, you know, that uh, Thomas uh, the Tank Engine show and, and the books. Uh, they used to watch that, and if you've ever seen those, uh, you'll know that the trains, they're, they're all little cartoon trains, right? They're all judged on the basis of their usefulness. The guy who's the head of the train yard will say to them at the end of the episode, you've been a very useful engine, or you've not been a very useful engine. And that's how you know that if, if you if you Google critique of Thomas the Tank Engine, you can find this stuff out here. People hate this junk. You know, because what you do is you're training your kids like, you should be useful, you need to do tasks. And if you do tasks and get jobs done well, then you get validated. Sir Topham Hat will tell you, you are a very useful engine. And if you don't do the jobs well, then uh, wake up, lazy bones, and do your job better is the kind of a common phrase that would be uh, in Thomas the Tank Engine. If this, is, this is oppressive. And this is, by, by the way, this is, the sermon is not to encourage you not to do a good job at your stuff. It's to encourage you not to identify as useful in order to, to find self-validation. Is this one of the reasons why Onesimus runs away? Because as a slave, this becomes his identity. All you are is somebody who performs work for me. I'm actually going to call you good worker. I'm going to name you useful to me. You lose, you become, your identity is tied up with what you do for other people how other people perceive you. And what Paul is doing is he's saying, okay, forget that for a second. This will grind you down. This will grind. And Paul is saying, forget this for a second. Before you get to you, Christos, you have to get to Christos. Before, before this guy could ever be a useful human being, he had to meet Jesus. This guy's, I'm, I'm telling you guys now this, I'm not talking to Philemon, I'm talking to you guys. Your identity is in Jesus. Who you are is not tied up with good husband or good wife or good worker or good friend or boy, they just do a lot of good work here around church. 
That, that your identity is not that at all. God does not judge you based upon that. God loves you and accepts you. And yes, he even respects you, regardless of how good a husband or wife you are, or how good a worker you are, or whether you make a lot of money or a little bit of money, or whether you, you know, you're the first one to leave, to, to get in and you're the last one to leave, or if you're a good student or you're a bad student, or if your friends like you or dislike you, if your friends think you're fun to be around or you're a useful friend or you're not a useful friend, God loves you and accepts you and respects you irregardless of those things in Jesus Christ. You could never be more respected and loved. You could never be more useful to God than you are right now. That's who you are. And if we can believe that, if we can believe that Jesus accepts us and loves us and respects us, regardless of who we are or what we've done or what we say or what we think, we at that point, Paul hasn't gotten here yet in the letter, but we at that point can be liberated to actually be useless because we don't have to do anything anymore to be useful. We don't have to think anything or talk a certain way. All we have to do is exist in this relationship that he's talking about in verse 6. All we have to do is be in koinonia. And whether you are a great church member or a bad church member, all of us love and accept and respect you because you are bound to us in Jesus Christ. You are a part of me. I have to think about you like I think about myself. I have to love and respect and accept you like I want to be loved and accepted and respected by you, irregardless of the fact that I'm a slug. And sometimes you're a slug too. Because that's what it means to be in Jesus Christ. We'll get to this in a few weeks, but that's going to be the basis of Paul's, Paul's argument to Philemon is that this guy's in Jesus Christ. He belongs to you. He can no longer be a slave. That's not going to work because he is now your soul, brother. All right, let's pray. God, be with us as we uh, move throughout our lives. Use your word here proclaimed in Philemon uh, to encourage us to not see our identity and who we are and what we do and the things that we accomplish and whether we're good at them or not or useful or non-useful. Help us to see our identity in your son, Jesus Christ, who by the power of his shed blood on the cross makes us useful for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen.